This podcast has been developed for financial advisor use and provides general information only and does not take into account any particular individual's objectives, financial situations or needs. BT Investment Talk by BT Investment Solutions is a monthly podcast produced exclusively for Australian financial advisors. Our investment experts, together with some of the world's leading fund managers, will provide thought leadership on a wide range of investment topics. Investment Talk is all about looking beyond the numbers, helping advisors cut through the noise, enabling them to have meaningful investment and portfolio construction conversations with their clients. BT acknowledges the traditional owners on the land on which this podcast is recorded and where you're listening in from. It pays its respects to their elders, both past and present, and also acknowledges and pays respects to those listening today who identify as being Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander and recognises the diversity of Indigenous peoples, countries and culture in Australia. Hello and welcome to another episode of BT Invest Talk. I'm Matt Harvey, Senior Investment Specialist. In today's episode, we are going to focus on sustainable investing or responsible investing as it's also referred to. And to help me do this, I'm joined by two industry experts. So firstly, we have Jesse Pettigrew, who is Head of Sustainability and ESG with BT Investment Solutions. Jesse, of course, reports to our CIO, Corin Colicott. And secondly, Alison George, who is Head of Research at Regman. So we're doing this one a little different in that we are recording via Zoom due to me being stuck in lockdown here in Sydney. But both Jesse and Alison are looking a little happier than myself as they are both in Melbourne and out of lockdown. So ladies, thank you both for your time. Uh, before we get into uh, our discussion, uh, a brief update on the, uh, the core series portfolios as we do in, in every episode. Uh, so as we closed out FY 2021, June was another positive month, which made it the 10th positive month in absolute returns after fees for the financial year. And if you recall, heading into the start of the financial year, the investment team's view was that loose monetary and fiscal policy would be a tailwind for equities. And that's what ultimately played out. So throughout the year, we maintained an overweight allocation to growth assets relative to our competitors, and we've posted strong returns, which is pleasing. Uh, But that investment thesis will be retested as part of the upcoming SAA review process. In a couple of episodes time, I'm going to sit down with James Kerr, who's head of asset allocation, uh, to get a better understanding of the outcome of that process and and what it will mean for the portfolios going forward. Uh, But as always, for more detailed attribution and performance reporting, I encourage you to visit bt.com.au forward slash core series, where you can download the June quarterly reports. Um, so with that being said, let's now turn our attention to today's topic. And Jesse, to kick things off, it, it'd be good to give our listeners a better understanding of, of what your team's role is and, and how do they contribute to the, the BTIS investment process. Thanks, Matt. Lovely to be here. Um, nice to have a, a, an episode focusing on sustainable investment and, uh, yeah, just also, just want to acknowledge everybody who is in lockdown in Sydney um, from Melbourne. We do feel your pain and understand what you're going through. Um, so what does my team do? Um, our team really kind of at a fundamental level focuses on how we address non-financial factors in the investment process um, within the BTIS team, as Matt said. Um, at BT, we believe that over the long term, the appropriate consideration of um, ESG factors or environmental, social and governance factors in the investment process has the ability to drive better financial outcomes and positively influence a a risk-adjusted return. So my team or our team has has really got four areas of focus. Um, The first being ESG integration, which is really um, how our team and how the managers that we we, um, work with consider sustainability factors and ESG factors, as I said, when they're making investment decisions. 
pretty core to kind of what, what we do um, and working with the team to kind of you know, work through that process. Um, the next part is, is asset stewardship, which is obviously what we're, we're going to kind of focus on today in this discussion a little bit. Um, asset stewardship, active ownership, stewardship, again, um, as with all things in sustainable investment, there's a bunch of terminology, but really um, at its core, it's about how we influence the, the companies and the assets we're invested in to encourage good governance, um, transparency and, and sustainable business practices. It's really um, about engaging with you know, companies directly um, and Alison could touch on that a little bit more, um, senior management, board of the companies, um, and also proxy voting. So, you know, that obviously occurs, for example, at AGMs um, annually, at, at, at annual general meetings, sorry. Um, and it's really about, uh, as we said, kind of thinking about the long term um, and, you know, company performance over the long term um, and how these non-financial factors, how ESG factors can tend to, to influence that. Um, the kind of third component of what we do um, is, is ESG exclusion. So in certain cases within the BTS portfolios, we do exclude activities. Um, we currently exclude tobacco, controversial weapons and severe breaches of accepted business practices. And that's from our equity mandates. Um, and the final role that our team has is really around advocacy. And that's again about using our influence to promote best practice and sustainable investment. Um, and that's both kind of, in the wealth management sector, but also in the broader community. Um, and, it, and it goes again to this idea that um, sustainability and ESG factors um, really do have an impact on investment returns. And it, you know, it's not necessarily just about individual companies, but it's also about kind of you know, the broader, broader industry sectors, the community, the economy. Yeah, that's, that, that's great, um, Jesse. And Alison, one of the things um, Jesse touched on there was asset stewardship. So can, can you firstly tell us a little bit about Regnan um, and secondly, you know, how, how does Regnan enhance what Jesse and her team does? Yeah, sure, Matt. So Regnan is a responsible investment specialist. And for more than 20 years, we've advised investors like BT on their stewardship approach. So we undertake research on environmental, social and governance, ESG issues. We draw on that research to help investors think about ESG in their proxy voting and in their um, investment decisions too. And we use it also to engage with companies that are held in client portfolios, seeking that they enhance their management of ESG risks and opportunities. And even though I just mentioned ESG quite a few times in that intro, Regnan's foundation actually goes back to before we had that word, before it was coined, and um, before even the founding of the Principles for Responsible Investment, which is a really key organisation in the responsible investment space now, as you probably know. Um, our founding followed actually a couple of really big corporate collapses in Australia, which you might remember if you have a long enough memory. So, OneTel and HIH. And in those cases, you know, investors lost money on those companies collapsing, so direct loss of their investment. But there were also systemic impacts that flowed from those. And it was a real um, eye-opener to a number of large investors. That theme of systemic risk has only become more prominent in financial markets over the years. So obviously during the GFC, um, and again, now all the way to Main Street in COVID, it's really highlighting the interconnections of um, societies and economies. And the other thing that came out in the wash-up of those collapses was um, 
there were questions raised about whether investors were really fulfilling their oversight obligations, whether they were paying attention to the right things. And so Regnan was formed to help investors pay attention to the right things, things that might go underattended relative to their importance to value and to help address those risks, including at the systemic level. But, no, that's great. And, and it's good to get that background as well. And, and the examples you gave, um, I, I think, uh, are really good because I think one of the, the traps that um, advisors and, and, and their clients tend to fall into when it, when it comes to ESG is focusing exclusively on the negative screening process, but there's clearly a lot more um, involved with the ESG process uh, that both uh, that Regan and BTS apply. So I think to, to bring some of the, these concepts uh, to life, it, it's good to just work through um, you know, how does it actually work in progress? And so I guess I'm, I'm interested to know what's Regnant's um, approach, like out of all, all, of the, all of the ESG issues that are out there, how do you narrow your focus? Um, and I guess what is your aim or goal when you actually engage a company? And, and I guess to finish off, how, how do you determine if you're being successful? Sure. Um, you're absolutely right, Matt. Um, ESG, or maybe in more common terms, sustainability, it's, it's a really broad landscape. Uh, you know, I can be talking about renewable energy at breakfast and audit quality at lunchtime and diversity and inclusion before bed. Um, so we are scanning that landscape of issues all the time and our team includes a really diverse set of um, experiences and expertise that lets us have insight into those different areas. We're trying to find the most material things and I mean that in a financial sense, but taking a broad view of the kinds of factors that affect value, um, especially over the long term. So we're thinking bottom up, we certainly look at individual stocks and think about what matters most to those, but also how those risks play out across the whole of the system and where the most material across those two different lenses lie. Um, the other part in deciding whether or not it should be a priority for our, our resources, our, our scarce attention, is to think about whether or not um, those issues are well understood and well attended or enough different people are thinking about them and, and trying to bring them to the fore or whether they are going unrecognised and, and maybe our incremental efforts could make the difference, um, particularly given the competencies that exist in our team. So to give that um, a real example then, we recently completed some research on sustainable agriculture. So we really think that this is an issue that is on the same scale of importance as climate change in terms of its potential to reshape markets and, and um, the world in general. Mm -hmm. And it, it really went into what are the structural shifts that are going to need to happen to meet the nutritional needs of a rapidly growing population and staying within planetary limits, especially as the climate changes. And that's the kind of issue that is systemic. It can't be solved by a single company in isolation. And so then when we're taking that out into our engagement efforts, we're really looking across the value chain and thinking about the interactions between, say, lenders and agricultural companies, which many of which won't necessarily be listed and therefore we may not have a direct um, line into otherwise and trying to look at the ways that we can talk um, about solutions and the different roles that those different participants can play. Yeah, no, that, that's great. And, um, and, and I guess uh, further to that, when you, when you sit down and, and engage with you know, either the financial institutions uh, or, or the agribusinesses themselves, um, 
how do you determine at the end of the day if, if that's been um, worthwhile or not? Is there some sort of uh, metrics that you can use to, to help you um, guide yeah. how, you've, how you've done? And I think it's really important to spend time thinking about uh, the success of our own efforts so that we can keep on getting better at what we do. Um, so the t- kinds of changes that we're targeting can be things like uh, the actual corporate strategies and business mm-hmm. plans. It might be their policies and programs. A lot of um, engagement does focus on disclosure, and that's important for informed markets, of course, for um, good investment decision making. But it has this other role in terms of pull through the whole of the corporate. Obviously, you can't disclose something if you don't have the underlying practices in place and if you don't have the measurements and outcomes. And also, you won't disclose to the market without management and the board seeing it. So it's a way to actually elevate it in the business at times. Um, And it's important to evaluating success. So it's one thing to be told in a private discussion that changes will be made. It's quite another to see that publicly disclosed and to see the change in performance metrics that you were trying to shift. So we weigh that um, obviously much more heavily. We think about, um, you know, how intensively we've worked on on this topic. Some some wins are easy, but mostly it requires a period of time and, and repeat efforts. Uh, We also think about what we learned through the engagement about where the company was at on the issues raised, um, issues we raised. So when we go in and speak to them, are they already thinking about it? Are they starting to form plans and we can help them shape it? Or is it really that this is a new idea or that we've changed their minds about whether to address an issue? So we've got some insight from those discussions. And then we also look at the specifics of the changes that are made and whether how closely they aligned to what we asked. Are there kind of telltale signs in that, that it was specifically responding to our asks? Yeah, that, that's great. And I think one of the sort of themes that you, you touched on there was around transparency. And, and Jesse, I wanted to um, ask you a question. That's, that's certainly something that comes up uh, in conversation when I'm out there talking to advisors, um, the importance of transparency when it comes to uh, just about everything involved with sustainable investing. And so I'm interested to know um, how do we go, go about voting and, and disclosing how we have voted, uh, particularly on contentious issues. And, and as we're a multi-manager outsourcing the day-to-day investments to external managers, does, does that complicate things? Could you just talk us through that, that process? Yeah, sure. Look, um, transparency is one of our kind of underlying principles of our investment approach and it really comes back to um, we think it's really important that we're clear about what we what we do and what we say um, and you know we provide our investors um, you know advisors who are using our products with a number of different documents um, and a number of different kind of um, you know descriptions of, of what we're doing um, and that's you know all public and all available on our website so if anybody you know wants um, access to anything please please kind of you know, get in touch um, with Matt or, and we can kind of send it through. Um, in terms of proxy voting um, specifically, one of the, you know, as I said, one of the things is we have a, a clear um, approach to proxy voting and a set of proxy voting principles and expectations of companies that's published in our sustainable investment policy. Um, that is um, shared with investment managers when they're appointed um, and we do a uh, review of alignment between say the investment managers proxy voting policy and ours we call out any issues or any, any kind of differences we see there between those two policies and we work with the investment managers as to kind of, you know, what those differences are, why they might be different, um, what, you know, different views investment manager has and, and, you know, that's definitely how we work through and ensure that um, proxy voting is aligned. 
Um, you know, as, as Alison touched on, as we said earlier, proxy voting is a really important tool. Um, you know, it can be can be a fairly blunt tool. You know, it's a it's a vote. It's a you know yes no vote um, largely. Um, you know, we do acknowledge that there are some um, instances when you would put in an abstain vote. Then we can talk about that um, probably at another time. Um, but really, um, you know, it is it is one of the you know the clear ways that investors have and the clear tools investors have to to kind of give. Um, companies are a signal about what they're thinking and, and how they um, feel that the board is performing and the company is performing more broadly. So, um, as you said, you know we do um, you know we do run a fund to fund approach. We do have a, have a bunch of managers. Um, I guess when you look at kind of the universe of votes um, that are available to us, we often um, you know a lot of the votes are, are you know for want of a better word relatively uncontroversial um, and you know. We do feel like our managers, as I said, are in a better place or in, in, a, in a good place to vote on our behalf in a lot of cases. But there are some cases where, um, you know, votes are what I would say particularly material. They might, you know, be of particular interest. Um, you know, we tend to refer to them as contentious votes. Um, and that's where we feel like they warrant further scrutiny from, from our team and from the investment team more broadly. Um, and in, in that case, we generally consider them and, you know, we look, look at them individually. Um, when we do that, we look at... Um, you know, in basically in deciding whether or not we, we feel like we need to do that, we look at um, research from our research providers like, you know, Alison and, and the Regnan team um, from the underlying managers who are holding that company or holding that stock. Um, we consider the views of our investors and, and other stakeholders. And, um, you know, we also look at our proxy voting policy and all that kind of goes into a, um, into a magic mixing bowl uh, in our team. Um, and we formulate a view and from there we will, um, you know, make a decision on that vote. Um, I guess, you know, as I said, uh, you know, it's not um, not necessarily all the votes in the season that we might do that too. What we really try to focus on is where um, we think the issue is, you know, particularly um, material either to the company or to, to our broader, broader holding. So that does tend to be um, issues around climate change and issues around big issues, like big kind of concerns like human rights, where we, where we apply that specific, you know, additional level of detail. Yeah, well, on that topic of climate change I think um, that's definitely one of the things that that comes up a lot in conversation between clients and, and advisors and uh, you know exposure to fossil fuels and things like that um, and what energy companies are doing about trying to uh, reduce their impact on, on climate change so could you maybe just talk us through that as an example uh, you know how BT approaches voting on, on climate related topics yeah, absolutely. Look, I'm sure that we can record a whole other podcast on engagement yeah. and it's uh, it's, a, it's approach to climate change. Um, so I won't, you know, burn a lot of time on that. But I guess what's really um, key to call out is that, that as an investor, BT, you know, supports the transition to a net zero economy by 2050. Um, we really recognise that achieving the Paris goals is, um, you know, is critical um, to managing both the physical risk of climate change um, and, you know, the impact on the environment, but also, you know, that, that kind of broader impact. Um, I think you know, the, other, the other kind of thing that we think about when we talk about climate change is really that this transition is going to require significant transformation. And um, you know, our, our view is that the more orderly and well-planned that transition can be to net zero, the better it will be um, for, man for managing climate-related risk. And that um, more orderly transition you know, will be beneficial to the type of investments we make being kind of diversified and global, globally, you know, global investments, um, investments kind of everywhere. Um, so that's, you know, that's definitely kind of the underlying principle when we consider climate change. Um, in terms of applying that to voting, um, we, our kind of proxy voting principles, talk about our expectations of companies 
Um, and one of those expectations is that, you know, we really do think that companies need to start considering um, an assessment of possible future climate change risks and that these should be, you know, one of these or one of the, the you know, the possible climate change scenarios they need to consider is um, a plan to achieve net zero by 2050. Um, and we do apply that to voting. So that means that we, you know, we definitely seek to support um, votes and, and proposals put forward by companies or by shareholders that um, will improve disclosure. And as Alison said, the kind of focus on disclosure there is because if you are forced to disclose something, you're often forced to actually, you know, action that. You can't um, disclose something that doesn't exist. Uh, so that's really about driving companies to take action around, around their climate risk, but understanding what those risks are, demonstrating alignment with, you know, that net zero pathway. Um, and we really... Um, focus on, and as I said, kind of the underlying principle for all our voting, I probably should have mentioned this up front, is, is the long-term financial best interest of our members and investors. So that's, you know, the, the driving principle behind all our voting decisions, but particularly when it comes to climate change. I think that's a really good point uh, that you concluded on there, that, uh, you know, ESG is also about driving better long-term returns. And I think that's important for for advisors and their, their clients to, to remember as well. Um, but Alison, I'd, I'd be interested to get your thoughts here just uh, to conclude. Um, you know, what, what's Regnan's view um, as a key drive to meaningful change? Is, is investor pressure enough or, or are there other sort of mechanisms and tools that can be applied to, um, to, to corporates? Yeah, absolutely, Matt. I mean, climate change is a complex problem that's typical of ESG problems, but particularly so for climate change. Absolutely no one party can solve it alone. It requires a lot of different levers being pulled. That said, investor action is making a really important difference. Many of the early wins were on getting companies to disclose, as, as Jesse said, standardising that disclosure, so making it easy to analyse and making it a market norm so that we've got it typically across all of the companies that we invest in. Now it's moved on much more to seeing companies set targets to reduce emissions and uh, scrutinising the actions that they're putting in place to achieve that, including capital plans, um, and also the ambition of those targets relative to the global goals of achieving that neutrality and readying that business to succeed in that future economy. Another common change has been um, that companies targeted around their emissions intensive assets have at times chosen simply to divest them. And while that obviously can be a meaningful change at an individual company level, it doesn't really do anything to solve the problem at the portfolio level or at the planetary level. Um, and there's growing awareness that of that um, not really working for portfolio investors in particular, that the focus needs to be put on making those underlying assets more sustainable, putting them on a more sustainable path. And Regnan's advice to clients always focuses on whether, whether it's an engagement objective or a voting proposal, can it drive positive real world outcomes that help address climate change? because that is actually how portfolio returns will be protected. That's great. And, um, and it's such an interesting topic. And, and as, uh, as Jesse mentioned, we could, uh, I think we could, we could be here all day talking about all the various um, issues at, at hand and, and um, developments in, in the space. So um, I know we barely skimmed the surface, but that's all, all we've got time for. So um, I, for me, I think it's, it's a really interesting area, particularly for advisors as they're, they're continually, have, continually having to educate themselves um, uh, on this particular topic. And, and for that matter, 
clients demanding solutions that, that look to deliver better ESG outcomes and, and uh, along the way, better long-term returns as we touched on. And from my perspective, it's good to know that both BT and Regnan are leading the way in this space. So um, thank you both, uh, Jesse uh, and Alison, for your time. And, and thank you for listening. If you would like more information on BTIS approach to sustainable investing, you can head to our website, bt.com.au forward slash BTIS. Jesse has also recently published the sustainable investing quarterly update for our core series portfolios, which is available on request. As always, if you have any questions or feedback, please don't hesitate to reach out. Thank you.